welcome to episode 192 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for being with us today. Obviously, we talk a lot about happiness here on Live Happy Now. So when we discovered the book, The Year of Living Happy, we knew we wanted to talk to its author. But Allie Worthington isn't just an author. She's also a speaker, a podcaster, business coach, and maybe most importantly, the mother of five boys. She's helped both individuals and businesses learn the techniques they need to become more successful. And this week, she talks with us about the small steps we can take to have a happier year. Allie, welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk to you. So I just wanted to thank you for coming, first of all. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you. Thanks so much. You've written a book that is very relevant to our readers, and it's called The Year of Living Happy. And first of all, what made you want to write that? Well, I spent a year researching as much as I could about the science of happiness and what research has been done, what actually has been proven to help. And I built an email series on my website where I sent out a little note every Sunday afternoon to give mostly women, a tip on how they can be happier each week. And after a year of research and sending out little tips, I knew it was time to go ahead and put everything together in a book. That's terrific, because you've done other books prior to Mm -hmm. this. Yes. This was my first, they call it a gift book. So it's a hardback book with journaling space. So not only is there something, a short segment to read every day, but an action step and something to do to really to, to crystallize new habits in your life. And that's terrific around this time of year because people, we can do it any time of the year. We emphasize that. But people are really in the mode of, I'm going to make this year rock and I'm going to make everything good. And so they're really in that space where they want some guidance and they want to be able to see, what am I going to do to make these changes? Right, exactly. For me, I find January is a good time for that June and then again in September. So for me, I kind of have a a new year mindset about three times a year that I've just noticed that that that's my normal rhythm. Oh, really? Where Mm -hmm. do you think that comes from? I think it must be the calendar of my children. So I have five (laughs) boys. They're from elementary school to college. And I think June is the beginning of summer. So we're going into a new season and maybe September is the beginning of the school year. So it seems it seems like a whole new year all over again. Generally in January, for me personally, I'm just recovering from the holidays. So I never put in a lot of effort to go, okay, what are my resolutions? What am I going to do different? I'm more likely to do that in June or September, interesting enough, just for my own rhythms. Because, you know, there's nothing magic about January. It's just the time when when most of us start doing new things. Right. And I love the fact that that with your book, you can start this year anytime. Right. right. If they picked it up just now, they don't have to say, oh, well, now I've got to wait 11 months and (laughs) two weeks. That's why we didn't give it specific days, because it's just too stressful. You miss a few days, and then you think, well, forget it. I'm out of it. So, yeah, it's much easier that way. We wanted to wanted to give everybody grace. I, I feel like we're all hard enough on ourselves, right? Absolutely. Why did you decide to focus on the topic of happiness? Well, I think happiness is one of those things that's just inherent in us. No one looks around and goes, you know what? I just don't want to be happy. I don't <laughs> want to be any happier. You know, I think I'll just, I think I'd like to hang out in a melancholy state and, and not have fun in my life. I mean, it's just one of those things that everyone needs more of. And for me, we were, my, my family, we were coming out of a really hard season. My husband had a chronic illness for a long time and things were just really tough. And 
the idea to start researching happiness was one of those things that was almost self-preservation for me and for the whole family to go, let's just, let's, let's see what small little things we can do in our lives that really will kind of change the tide from just merely surviving to thriving and being happy. Where did you start looking? Because there's so many different entry points, and I think every person probably has their own way of going about it. But, but how did you go about starting that search? Well, with most everything that I start a search with, the Google search bar. <laughs> and I feel like with the Google search bar, we can we can take over the world. And I just one by one started reading all of the research that's been done on happiness. And I read a lot of, you know, super nerdy books and put things together and and discovered that the things that create a happy life are not necessarily things that are revolutionary to us. So when we you know, get the plan, here are all the things that create a happy life. Here are the things that suck the happiness out of life. It's very few people who will go, I never could have imagined that would make a happy life. I think what it is, is we just need constant reminders to kind of, kind of like guardrails to keep us on the path. Like these are the mindset shifts. These are the behaviors. These are the things you want to work toward. And these are the things we want to avoid. But as long as we kind of have a, a system set up in our lives and, a, and an endpoint that we're moving toward, we'll be able to live in a happier way because living a happier life, it's not about, you know, more work and having to do all this grand stuff to make life better. A lot of it's just very small little shifts and, and changes that we can do in our lives. Were you surprised as you got into the research? Were you surprised at any of the findings? I was surprised, honestly, at the real power of gratitude, that gratitude seems to be such a magical thing for happiness in our life. But I was also I was the most surprised at the fact that most people have a happiness set point. Some of it is genetic. Some of it isn't. Research that's done for people who have been through traumatic experiences as well as people who have won the lottery say that after a certain period of time, their happiness level is about the same as what it was before the incident or the life change happened. So, so much of our happiness is really up to us and we can change this happiness set point. But the fact that winning $10 million isn't going to make me dramatically happier after a period of time or going through a tragedy isn't going to necessarily rob me of happiness after a period of time, I found very comforting because we are less at the mercy of the storms of life, ups or downs, than we think we are. And I think that's so important. We talk about the happiness set point and, mm -hmm. and some of the things that you can kind of do to adjust that, because I, I know people who say, well, I just, I wasn't born happy. I'm just not a happy person. And they kind of accept that as, as their fate. Right. But the research and in things like your book show us that there is a way that you can, no matter what your set point is, you can change how that is. And maybe you're not going to be as joyous as that person that bounces out of bed every morning ready to seize the day, but you can change it. You can be a little bit happier as, as Dan Harris talks about 10% happier. Yeah. And you know what? I wouldn't even necessarily want to be that super happy person that bounces out of bed every morning because I would find myself annoying. <laughs> and your family would too. So <laughs> Yeah. So it's just it's just the small little changes that we make in life that do bring so much happiness. And you write that there's one thing 
that can make you as happy as getting a $133,000 raise. And yes. I've had some good raises in my life, but never that good of a raise. <laughs> Wouldn't so, it be great? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So what is that thing? We got to know now. This is fascinating. Another piece of research that showed that spending time with friends you like, which I think is funny. Spending time with friends you like increases your happiness as much as getting a $133,000 raise. But they don't say spending time with friends. It's spending time with friends you like. That's the difference. That's an important distinction. It really is because I, I think we all have friends that we go, oh, okay, I guess I need to be around them, but we don't really enjoy it. When we identify those friends, like we love to be around, we love those friends, we like to spend time with them, spending more time with them actually increases our happiness level as much as that massive raise. Now, other research has shown that your income after you make, I'm sure you know this, after you make about 75000 it really doesn't increase your happiness that much. However, there is a bit of a boost. So whatever that small boost is, the same boost you would get from $133,000 raise you get from hanging out with your friends who you really enjoy. And that's really good to know. That's because we sometimes think of just hanging out with our friends as being extra. We're going to do that after we've done all the things that we need to do. Right. So this is a great way to understand why it's so important to prioritize spending time with people we truly enjoy. Because it's so easy for that type of behavior, like you say, to be thought of as extra and to go by the wayside because we all get so busy with work and our families and all the responsibilities on us. It's so easy to to forget to invest that time. But investing time with the friends you like is really just investing in your own happiness. And when we are happier, everybody we're around are happier. Now, as you learned all these things, did you start, did it change the way you applied some of your own practices, such as spending time with friends or what changes did it create in you as you did this work? Well, the biggest change in me was I made myself practice what I preached. So, (laughs) which is a great trait because I know a lot of people (laughs) who are writing one thing and doing something else. So yeah, it's, it's very convicting. I mean, one thing I do with my sons and I've done it for years is at the end of the day, I make them say three things that they're grateful for, but I trick them into it. So, because if you look at young boys and say, what three things are you grateful for? They'll look at you like you have four heads. So I will say, what are your three wins for today? What three things happened that were good? And so I'm trying to teach them the discipline of gratitude because gratitude we know is the key point of happiness. But we have to be taught to be grateful. It's not something that really just happens by accident. And like anything else in life, we have to discipline ourselves to do it. And so as I'm going through with the boys every night, you know, what their three wins are, I realize I'm such a hypocrite. I teach these things. I'm teaching it to the boys. I'm writing a book about it. But I have been forgetting to do it myself. So it's been, you know, kind of keeping me accountable, making sure that even though I know all these things, I'm actually doing them. And as I do them, it's life changing. It really is. It just seems so simple. But sometimes the simplest things are the most powerful. Oh, absolutely. And I love the fact that you talk about gratitude because and this is where listeners are going, oh, here she goes again, because (laughs) I talk about gratitude a lot. It's absolutely my favorite practice. I tell anyone people, if if you have only one thing you can do to be happy, be grateful. And so I love that you refer to this as the discipline of gratitude. 
And can you kind of explain why you call it a discipline and how you then reinforce it as a discipline? It takes discipline, I think, to make ourselves do it. I mean, it's a it's a practice, but getting ourselves to actually take action on that practice, that's where the discipline comes in. So for me, it's the same discipline that I lean on to keep myself from eating that second piece of carrot cake after dinner. It's the same discipline that I go, okay, I know if I don't practice gratitude today, I'm not going to be happy. Just like I know if I have the second or third piece of carrot cake, I'm going to feel terrible. So it's a real discipline. And when I started looking at it like a discipline, it helped me take it seriously. That makes perfect sense. And have you found as you started practicing it, then it becomes more natural to you? Yes, but I'm still just as likely to want to forget to do it. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is about me. I go, oh, yes, gratitude. I'll do it. Even though it's the key to everything. I'm still just as likely to go, oh, I can I can skip it tonight, even though it's a natural part of my day now. It's it, it's so funny how the human mind sometimes will just fight for things that aren't good for it. Right. And we want to be lazy sometimes. A hundred percent. Sometimes I just want to sit on my couch and watch This Is Us and not okay. think about anything and else. And I'll just be grateful that I can sit on my couch and watch. Yeah. Now, you referenced a little bit earlier, you talked about how busy we all are. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is something that we've talked about here on the show several times. And, you know, we are all busy and a lot of people wear it kind of like a badge of honor. But you really talk about how that busyness can wreak havoc on our lives. Can you talk about that just a little bit more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think busyness is one of the most dangerous things in our culture right now because most of us, I would say 99.9% of us, if not 100%, are busy doing good things. No one listening right now is busy doing bad things or harmful things. We're busy taking care of our lives and going to work and doing our job and taking care of our homes and taking care of other people. Like We're busy being awesome people. So when we're busy doing good things, it makes it really hard to look at busyness as a happiness stealer. But when we are so busy doing all of these good things that it's stealing our happiness. We have to force ourselves to go, okay, we, I have to take a look at this. I have to examine this in a different context and go, if I am so busy that I'm literally burning myself out and stealing my own happiness and it's having an effect on my health, even though all of these things that I'm doing are good, I have to really kind of create a hierarchy. What are the things that I'm doing that are good that I have to do? And and then examine what are the things that I'm doing because I feel like I should do them. And once we kind of look at things through that lens, the things that are good that we should be doing in our life or the things that we're doing because we think we need to do them to please other people, it helps us figure out what should stay and maybe what should go. Because if we don't have margin in our lives, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're going to burn out and it's going to steal our happiness. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. I know you're a business coach as well. So I I know that you, you, which is wonderful because you bring this great application of the business world that you can apply in in our personal lives. But for a lot of people, that busyness becomes their identity and doing good for others becomes their identity. So in those cases, how do they then step away from that? And because there's a sense of loss, like I, I have to do this. True. And I find for most high capacity women, 
when we say yes to everything because we feel like we have to, or we feel like we, we are high capacity women, we are the women who say yes. Sometimes the mindset shift that really helps this process is we need to look at opportunities when they come at us and go, if I say yes to everything, I'm taking away an opportunity for another woman to kind of step into her strength and step into her abilities. Maybe there's a woman who hasn't been asked to have this opportunity. Maybe it's a, a volunteer opportunity, you know, whatever it is. There are women out there who haven't yet developed that ability to go, hey, pick me. I want the opportunity to step into this role. But if we as high capacity women take it all on ourselves and the process kind of burning ourselves out and carrying too much weight, we're not investing in other women by giving them an opportunity to step into that opportunity. It's a completely different mindset shift because sometimes we go, well, if I don't do it, who else will? Well, somebody else will. Everyone's created to take on different roles with different gifts and abilities. But what we need to do, again, as the, as the leaders, as women who do tend to do everything, is go, the best thing I can do for other women is to let women step into this role. I love that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that with my housework. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Okay, you know what? That comes, here's another funny piece of research that I found. I found that money can't truly buy you happiness. However, Spending money to take care of the jobs you don't enjoy, such as housework, does scientifically increase your happiness. I absolutely believe that. Oh, 100%. And I am glad. We need to do an infographic on that, just on that one fact. <laughs> I pay my 12-year-old $5 a week to put away all of my laundry, and it's a great system. Really? Because mm -hmm. y'all don't live that far from us. If Is he for hire? Or is he... <laughs> I can't say he does it well, but it gets, uh, <laughs> but it does get done. It does. And I don't have to do it. I have one more thing that I want to talk to you about. And that is that we talk a lot here about our phones and how they're distracting us and how they kind of separate us. But you say that we can use our phones to bring us real happiness. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. There are triggers in our lives. There are things that happen, words that get spoken even photos that we can see that can trigger us for happiness or unhappiness. You know, you can remember a memory and it can trigger you for it to be happy or unhappy. I'm really purposeful with my camera roll on my phone that when we're having a good time, I take a picture that everything I keep on my camera roll is happy. And if I'm having a day that's a little bit rough or I'm having a, a time when I'm a little bit bored, you know, waiting rooms and all that, I just pop open my phone and scroll through all of these happy memories and I find it increases my happiness so much, whether it's a picture of my dog out in the yard or a vacation we took years ago or even a baby picture of my husband. You know, all <laughs> of these little things that I keep on my phone, which become happiness triggers because when we go, okay, here's the mood I'm in, I actually have control over this mood because just because we're feeling a feeling doesn't necessarily make it truth. Just because we're a little bored or we're in a bad mood, it doesn't mean things are terrible, even though sometimes it can feel that way. You open up your phone, you look through your camera roll, and all of a sudden your whole perspective is shifted and you see things in a different light. It's such a small, easy thing to do, but it's really powerful. And it's way better than jumping on social media in those down times and getting caught up in that, falling down that rabbit hole. So that's, that's a wonderful uh, tip for us today. 
Well, thanks. I'm so glad you like it. Well, Allie, I, boy, I wish I had more time with you. Uh, this is, it's been so fun talking with you. Your book is The Year of Living Happy. Listeners can go to our website. We're going to give them some links. I think we, we give them a download to a couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. We give them a lot of things to work with and tools to see more about what you're about and how they can listen to your podcast and uh, find out more about living happy. Well, thanks so much. It's been wonderful to be on the show. That was Allie Worthington, author of The Year of Living Happy. If you visit our website at livehappynow.com, you'll find a free download of seven chapters of her book, as well as information about her podcast and how you can learn more about what she has to say. And in case you haven't heard, Live Happy Now is part of the Pandora Podcast Network, so you can now find us on the Pandora mobile app for Apple and Android phones. Of course, you can still find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast. So just search for Live Happy Now and subscribe. That is all we have time for today. So please join us back here again next week for a brand new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. <laughs>